0: Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've been able to tune in.
1: And in this sense, gold speaks of that which lasts forever. So what is it that lasts forever? The scriptures tell us the Word
0: of God lasts forever. In the Bible, gold was a symbol of that which lasts forever. Solomon's temple was laden with gold vessels. But Israel took for granted the house of God that they were the people of God, and they certainly didn't honour the Word of God. The result was their demise as they embraced idolatry, ignorance and immorality. Dr. Corbett explores their demise tonight, the gold this is This is part of gold. our Jeremiah
1: series, one of the books that Jeremiah wrote, and it's the book of Lamentations, as you'll see in a moment. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He, as we've mentioned many times, he was someone who didn't just deliver a cold word. He was someone who felt deep compassion for those he was sharing with. He wrote this book, the Book of Lamentations, the book where he expresses his sorrow and sadness, which is what Lamentations is about. What I find interesting is that, you know, I suppose if we were only ever preaching biblical texts that related to where we were at, we'd probably, maybe, Never, as a church, ever touch on lamentations at all, because who wants to, who wants to feel sad and depressed? Who wants to feel sorrow? Who wants to feel the depths of emotions that Jeremiah was experiencing at this point? But if, and I hope we are, if we are committed to to getting a, a a well-rounded grasp of all that Scripture says, we can't ignore books like this. We can't ignore passages like this. So I want to. Uh, give you a little bit of background because the the next couple of verses that we're going to see in Lamentations is is going to be just meaningless to you unless you understand some of the background the city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed and the main feature that's been destroyed has been the temple it was the The highest point of the city of Jerusalem, you'd come in through the gates of Jerusalem and basically you're ascending up and the psalmists would talk about, let us ascend and go to the house of the Lord. And that's because that's where the temple was. It was was the ascent up. And Jeremiah was saying, unless you repent, unless you turn back to God, this temple is going to be destroyed. The Lord will come and he will destroy this temple. And of course, the false prophets were saying it'll never happen because we have the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, as if that emphasised that Jeremiah was supposedly wrong. And so Jeremiah picks up on this and he almost basically mocks them. He says, do not say the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, because God is about to judge this place and he will destroy this house. Now that was incomprehensible to the people of Jeremiah's day and when it actually happened I think emotionally it would have affected Jeremiah as well. So oh, let's just just I want you to get a picture of this temple and I'm I'm going to paint a word picture for you of what this temple would have looked like because if you can imagine coming back Two and a half thousand years and you're, you, you've trekked through the, the desert and the wilderness and you come through these huge uh, 15 or so metre high gates and you come in and at the top of the hill you see the temple and you would have seen it. It glistened in the sun. There's, there's no way you could have missed it. Let's read... Well, I'm, I'm going to put on the screen some of the descriptions of what Solomon actually built when... when He built this temple. Solomon made all the vessels that were in the house of the Lord, the golden altar, the golden table for the bread of the presence. That's 1 Kings 7.48. 1 Kings 7.49 says, The lampstands of pure gold, five on the south side, five on the north before the inner sanctuary, the flowers, the lamps, the tongs of gold. As soon as it says in 2 Chronicles 7.1, so firstly just get the picture, this, this building, if you can imagine coming into this building and the temple would have been just a little bit longer than this building and just a little bit wider, quite a bit higher. But if you can imagine, all the lining of this temple was gold plated, not just inside. But outside, you see, that's why you would have noticed this temple. And the enemies of Israel certainly noticed it, as you would. There's a, there's a lot of gold sitting on top of that hill. When it was dedicated, we read this in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, the prayer of dedication, consecration of this building, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord Filled the temple, so it's interesting. Just to, by the way, whenever God initiates, inaugurates, sets something into motion, He nearly always commissions it with fire. Just by the way, the burning bush, the temple. Before that, it was the tabernacle. And so, just also to give you a bit of a picture, what would happen is um, around this building, we would have we would have a fence and the fence had to be a prescribed height, it had to be seven feet tall in the old language, 2.1 metres, so that the average person could not look over it, the average person. Especially in those days, they were generally under six foot tall, whatever 183 centimetres. The priests were the only ones allowed into the first section. If you can imagine, we would have had a wall uh, dividing this section and on that side of the wall, uh, where this precinct was, and by the way the there was about one hundred and fifty the fence was about one hundred and fifty feet about seventy five feet so that 's the kind of the dimensions of it and then the the temple that Solomon built would fitted within it, and it would have been that bit would have been smaller than this building quite a bit smaller because it wasn 't for congregating in the outside the outside bit was where the people congregated. the first bit would have been where the priests came in every day every day, and the, the, they came up steps and there would have been uh, there was a table where they put fresh bread every day. There was a lamp, which was uh, called a menorah, which had a hollow tube and it was hollow pipes and it fed oil up through there. And, and the priests had to make sure there was always oil in, in the base of that thing, so it was always a light. And then there was um, uh, an altar, which would have been in the old language, about from here to here, so about 18 inches, about one, uh, 45 centimetres, and by 45 centimetres, by about a metre or so high. That's called the altar of incense. And every day the priest had to come in and put fresh coals on there and put fresh incense on there. And he would take, I think, some of the, uh, as I recall, some of the blood from the offering of the animals that were sacrificed and he would pour it over those hot coals as well to add to to the aroma in that room. And that was called the holy place. And then there was a curtain and... That, that, so that room was divided, and behind the curtain was called the Holy of Holies. And, the high, and the, the, only the high priest could go in there, and he could only go in there once a year. And that was where he would take some of the blood from the animal sacrifice, and a particular animal sacrifice, um, uh, the sacrifice of a goat, actually, and he would pour it over the Ark of the Covenant only once a year allowed to do it interestingly when christ died on the cross it says this that that temple veil the curtain was torn from top to bottom thus making access for everybody to have access into the very presence of god that's what jesus has done all right this temple was totally covered in gold and everything was gold in it so everything i've just described the table the candle. The, the incense altar, and incense, of course, speaks of prayer. The candle with oil speaks of being filled with the Holy Spirit. The bread, of course, speaks of the Word of God. But everything in it was gold. It was overlaid with gold. It was lined with gold. And that begs the question, why? Well, God is not only the ultimate artist. He prescribed for this to be built this way. But he's also someone who's very deliberate. Very intentional. He does things for a reason. Which is why I think when things don't go our way, we want to know what those reasons are. Because we know God's not random. God never does random. He never does that'll do. He always has a reason. So, why gold? What do we know about gold? What's the major property of gold? It never corrodes. It never Rust. Gold does not decay. See if you've ever wondered. You know, um, we we make jewelry out of gold. And when I do a wedding, what what I say at every wedding is, um, you, you, th- these rings that you have chosen are made of gold, which is that which is least tarnished and endures forever, and is a type of the relationship you're about to enter into. It's not meant to get tarnished, and it's meant to endure. forever. Forever, So that's the symbol of gold. So gold is that which lasts forever. It's a symbol of that which lasts forever. Solomon was instructed by God to cover everything with gold, make as much of the utensils as you can out of gold. So what is going on here? If we had the time, we would look at every aspect of that temple design and you would see there's a reason behind it. And everything speaks of Christ. And in this sense, gold speaks of that which lasts forever. So, what is it that lasts forever? The scriptures tell us the word of God lasts forever. It says in Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So, at the very center of this city, the very focal point of this city, the city of Jerusalem, was this, this temple covered, overlaid, lined in gold. And it should have reminded them, Ah, that's right. Every day I've got to be in the Word of God because only that lasts forever. You know what? Our interpretations of it don't always last a week. <laughs> Our interpretations of it sometimes fade over the years. We see things differently differently. But that's our interpretation. It's not the Word of God itself. The Word of God lasts forever. Now what else do we know about the temple that Solomon built? Only the priests, as I mentioned, only the priests were allowed in that daily section and only the high priest could come in to the the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, and he could only do that once a year. So the high priest would get dressed up in his garb. He, He had a set of clothes that god required of him and the high priest is typical of christ and when i say typical i'm being very particular in my language there's there's a whole study in theology called typology it's where we look at those things that are mentioned in the old testament and we see them as things that actually god has designed to point people to christ and the high priest is one of those things if you'd like to know what they are Read the epistle to the Hebrews. It actually goes through each of the major aspects of typology in the Old Testament. Here's what it says about the high priest's garments. These are the garments that they shall make a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, the first high priest, and his sons to serve me as priests Uh, interestingly it goes on and i'll just quickly read through this in exodus 28 they shall receive gold blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen verse 6 and they shall make the ephod of gold of blue and of purple and scarlet yarn and of fine twined linen skillfully worked it shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its shoulder edges so that it may be joined together. And the skillfully woven band on it shall be made like, uh, uh, like it and be of one piece with it of gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns of fine twined linen. You shall make two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. So this is the high priest, a, t- a special turban. Um, there's, there's a special headband that had to go with it. The, the high priest had a special, it says checker. Um, mesh thing and then had these two things on his shoulders with six names of the tribes here and six names of the tribes here so he was you know and it's it's a picture of carrying responsibility every leader carries responsibility on their shoulders and this is a picture of the high priest carrying the responsibility for the spiritual welfare of the 12 tribes of Israel and he had to have a sash a belt and all of this is pictorial of something about Christ, and we see this in Revelation chapter 1, where Christ is described wearing this kind of stuff. Now, um, it goes on, verse 11: as a jeweller engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree. So, engraved and then filled with gold. So, gold. This guy's like, when it says gold, Thread, it's actually gold. It's not gold, it's gold. So this guy's gold everywhere. And you shall set two stones on the shoulder pieces on the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree, verse 14, and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords. You shall attach the quarter chains to the settings. You shall make, verse 15, a breastplate of judgment in skilled work in the style of the ephod you shall make it of gold blue purple scarlet yarns of fine twined linen you shall make it it shall be square and doubled a span its length and a span its breadth you shall set in it and this is what i want you to hear four rows of stones a row of sardius it's a it's a gemstone topaz carbuncle shall be on shall be the first row Verse 18, and the second row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond, so each of these precious gemstones assigned to one of the twelve tribes of Israel. On the third row, jacinth, agate, and amethyst. And on the fourth row, beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be twelve stones with their names according to the, son- the names of the sons of Israel, the twelve tribes. And they shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes. Goodness me. I mean, I can imagine if you're doing your daily reading and you get to Exodus 28, you're going to go, oh, what is all that about? Well, if we had the time, you would see this is one of the most beautiful, precious pictures of Christ. But I need you to understand this because what we're about to read in Lamentations Chapter 4 refers to everything we've just mentioned. And if you don't get that, you won't understand what Jeremiah is talking about and you certainly won't even be able to begin to understand his heart for what's happened. So this high priest was typical, a type of the ultimate high priest, and that's Christ. And we read about that in... uh, Hebrews uh, chapters, well, f- starts at 5 and you'll see it in chapter uh, 9 as well about Christ being the ultimate high priest. Let me touch on these stones so you can imagine um, the stones cross here, each one with the name of the tribe of Israel. These were the precious stones on the high priest's breastplate. What, what is it, what's going on here? Well, if you can imagine, this is a picture of Christ. Christ carries responsibility for you and I. We're, we're on his, well, in one sense, we're on his shoulders. But you know, Isaiah the prophet says that engraving has taken place somewhere else on the Messiah. It says, Our names are engraved on his hand, not in a stone, in his flesh. So when they nailed him to the cross, it was a part of what Isaiah the prophet said it was for us. Our names are engraved in those nail scars and when the the stones are put on the high priest on the breastplate it's close to his heart and for the hebrew the, the very depth of a person's soul isn't you know we go we go you know heart we go like this to the hebrew it was it was here it was out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water jesus it's it's here. so these so this covered the whole breastplate these 12 stones and it's a picture of saying these the, the people of god are close to the heart of God, close to the heart of God. God has a heart for his people and none of us understand it. The Apostle Paul said he didn't understand it. He said, who can fathom this, how much God loves us? Who can fathom it? The depth, the breadth, the width, the height of God's love for us. The psalmist said, if we cannot number. God's thoughts toward us. Now, Don't confuse me here. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to build you up and say, oh, God thinks you're wonderful. No, I'm trying to get you to realise he's wonderful. Because none of us deserve a second thought. And yet it says his thoughts toward us cannot be counted. Doesn't that cause you to go, I worship you. God, I don't deserve a second thought. And yet your thoughts toward me are immeasurable. We can't count them. And the names of the 12 tribes representing the people of God were always on the high priest's heart. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, speaking of precious stones in the temple, it says this, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. And this is, again, language of this temple and language of the sacrifices and language of the priesthood. So it's mentioned in the New Testament. In fact, the New Testament assumes that you know exactly what I've just been talking about. So when God gave Moses the prescription for the tabernacle, which was initially a curtain for a fence, a tent for a building, that tabernacle, the, the, the outer boundary fence, the curtain, God said it had to be this by this, and it always, always, always had to have the gate Pointing east, always. Oh, let me go east. So you've got north, south, east, west. And the temple always, you come in through the east gate, confronted with, firstly, the gate. It had four posts in it, which speaks of the whole earth. Jesus and the Bible uses this expression, the four corners of the earth. The earth hasn't got four corners. It's a way of saying the whole earth. The four winds, the four points of the compass. So God is summoning the whole world to come to him. You come through this this bit here with your animal sacrifice. You're allowed into this area, but you you hand over your sacrifice immediately. So you'd bring an animal of some kind to represent you so that it could bear your guilt, shame, sin and punishment. As As the priests would take this, you're confronted with this whopping great big barbecue called the brazen altar brazen covered in bronze and bronze is able to withstand phenomenal heat and so the high priest would sacrifice that animal put it on the altar catch the blood before it did and as i've mentioned that blood gets used as well and it's a picture if you want to come to god the very first thing you have to do is come and lay down and surrender your life if you want to really worship god it begins with surrender to him in fact can i make this point if you don't know when we worship god we are declaring our surrender to god we are saying god have your way in my life that's what we're saying and so the next thing is the priest would then with a little bucket come up to a a big basin and that was about that's as far as you could go You, you would just have to wait back there the priest would then be confronted with this big basin and it was made out of bronze mirrors the women uh, can you imagine that? Even in those days, women carried mirrors. But interestingly, they had to surrender them so that the tabernacle could be built. Isn't that interesting? And they took all these bronze mirrors, these highly polished bronze mirrors, made them into this big basin, and so the, the, the priest could come and look in it and see his face, and that's why, and it was, covered, it was filled with water as well. But he could see the reflection from, from that which was mirrors. And that's why it says in James chapter 1, we look into the word as a mirror. And then James says in James chapter 1, and then the, high, the, the priest would then see dirty face, grab the water and ceremonially wash his face, take the water, wash his hands, be clean. And that's what James says, we look into the mirror and wash ourselves. How do you wash yourself with a mirror? Well, James is thinking Like this, it contains water, and then you come to this this first part of the tent, where there's now five posts and five speaks of God's grace, and there's reasons for that. And as I mentioned, inside there is the the candle, the incense altar, and the table of bread. And every day you have to come in, and that speaks of if you really want to live a devoted life to God, every day you've got to be filled afresh with the Spirit. Every day you've got to be in the Word. Every day you've got to offer prayer because Revelation says that the prayers of God's people ascend into heaven like, what's the next word? Incense. So if you want to be someone who's fair and inking with God, you, you are walking in the Spirit, you are in prayer and you are in the Word. If you are not doing that, can I tell you as lovingly as I can, you are slack and you need to repent. And we need you. We need you in the program. We need you walking with the Lord daily. So when the temple was built, modelled on this tent design, all of the measurements were doubled. So it was a grand thing. And it formed the front and centre of Jerusalem's landscape. And it represented the presence of God. It represented God being with his people. But what happens when you see the sacred and your heart has not been transformed? What happens? As Reese said about communion, I really appreciated what Reese said about communion. I, I absolutely agree. This is why I've been to some churches where they say, oh, it doesn't really matter what we drink or what we eat, let's have tea and scones. Can I tell you, Christ did not consecrate tea, or sc- tea and scones. <laughs> Someone said, oh, we could have potato chips and Coke. Christ did not consecrate potato, as as nice as they are, he didn't consecrate potato chips or Coca-Cola. He ordained that we take unfermented wine and unleavened bread as a picture of his, as Reese has said, body and blood. But what happens when you do the sacred without having a heart that's surrendered to God? You become flippant. It's one of the dangers, and you've heard me say this over and over and over, that I have for the teenagers of this church. Because the problem is, teenagers, you may be brought to this church by your parents who have a strong sense of the sacred, and you're coming along, and all you're seeing is the outward behaviour and not the inward reason for the behaviour. And you end up becoming flippant, trivialising the sacred. And that is exactly what happened In Jerusalem, they took these three sacred things for granted. The three sacred things that the temple was meant to remind them of, covered in gold, and gold represents, as we've seen, the Word of God. And they took the Word of God for granted, they ignored it. Secondly, the house of God, that is, coming to the house of God with a heart of worship. As we've gathered today, we have sung songs. And please do not think we have just come and sung songs. We have come and worshipped in song. We have come and we have worshipped with our giving. We have come and we have worshipped around the table of the Lord. Every one of those things in the house of the Lord that we're in right now is meant to be an act of surrender. And so the people of Israel the people of Jerusalem neglected the word of God they neglected the house of God and they neglected the people of God they began to treat people in ways that God said you should not treat others and what happened when they did this we've read it all through the book of Jeremiah the demise of Israel the demise of Jerusalem what happened as they became flippant? You see, as they stopped worshipping God, they did not stop worshipping. You see, we are here today as worshippers of the one true living God. But you know what? Outside of this building, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people within 15 kilometres radius of this building right now who are worshipping. They're just not worshipping God. And it doesn't matter what they worship. If it's not God, it's called idolatry and that is exactly what had happened to Jerusalem how do we know that Jeremiah for 40 years has has asked them to repent of this idolatry really the heart is like the temple of our soul and note how God ordered for that temple to be built he ordered it to be built lined with gold and I'm going to suggest to you that is a picture of exactly what should line our heart Remember what gold represents in Scripture? The Word of God. Our hearts are meant to be lined with the Word of God. We are meant to put the Word of God into our
0: heart. The warning is clear. We must guard against neglecting God's house and His Word, or we risk the same demise the Israelites experienced. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, The Gold Is Gone, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.